CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjog All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjog All. Hello and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. As always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTRLive, and look for this show as hashtag Big Data. Today's topic is developing a big data workforce, and our guest for today's show is Dr. Phil Shelley, who is a former CTO at Sears Holding. Good morning, uh, Phil. How are you doing? Good morning, Sanjog. Very good, thanks. Great, great. And we also have Doug Henshin, who's the executive editor at informationweek.com. Good morning, Doug. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Thank you. Very good. Pleasure to have both of you. And now uh, we seem to have covered uh, in, on our show almost every angle of big data and explored different ways in which people have been grappling with it. But at the end of the day, it looks like it is coming down to the human element, which is, again, the people, the type of staff that you have. So how are we going to build that dream team, and where are the challenges in defining what that team should comprise is what we would like to discuss today. So, Phil, starting with you, uh, we're seeing this big data growing as a field and in which we are trying to find value. And we are saying that this is going to even result in more big data jobs and opportunities, and there will be more demand for such a role. Do you think we can uh, very clearly identify what roles, unique roles that are actually needed in a big data team, which you can call that as a complete team, and then how is that likely to morph over time? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'd break it into, um, I think it's about seven sections of skill set for a big data uh, um, organization and enterprise. So there's, an, there's simple things like the operational piece, the operation of running big data solutions, monitoring, alerting, managing clusters, maintenance. Uh, that's one piece. The next one is data integration, which is a huge topic, um, especially when you look at the uh, Hadoop space, using Hadoop for replacing legacy ETL, data integration, data sourcing, metadata management, governance, and data stewardship is a, a huge gap today that a lot, a lot of people do not have the skills um, the, and then data modeling uh, is another area. How to organize data in these NoSQL structures is radically different than it would have been in legacy systems. Application development is also very different. Different languages like PIG or uh, concepts like streaming or um, using uh, MapReduce te techniques, which are very alien to a lot of uh, developers. And then the reporting aspects and the user interface, user tools, the security is a, is a big one of, with very different techniques required. And then the last one I would cover is data discovery and data science, which is um, also a, a big gap today in the, in the current marketplace. So those are my seven sections. So, Doug, when you look at all the conversations you've had across multiple organizations and have, must have performed some sort of a research to see how these roles are being identified, is there one version of the truth for all of these roles in terms of the number, the type, and what each role requires? Well, I think Phil covered, uh, you know, a lot of the titles that are consistently there. Of course, you also have the business stakeholder, the business analysts uh, who, you know, are going to have to, 
kind of think bigger and think of new opportunities to use data that they aren't familiar with. Um, but uh, he covered a good list, the data analysts. You know, the question is, you know, can your existing data analysts deal with these new click streams and social data, sensor data? Can your information management professionals, people with data integration, DBAs, can they crap, grapple with new platforms like Hadoop and NoSQL databases? Analytics and BI teams, are they stuck in SQL or can they roll with R and MapReduce, Pig, Mahout, these new tools? Uh, application developers and UI specialists, can they get more visual? Can they show relationships in big data, not just bars and graphs and the reports that they're more familiar with? And then I think the really new role here is the data scientist. I, I've seen some professionals out there just kind of taking that new title on. But to me, that's really a different sort of person that we haven't seen that some of the Internet giants are are employing very high-level person, comfortable dealing with these new platforms, comfortable with developing algorithms and applications from scratch with handwritten code, programming from scratch. They're not just dealing with out-of-the-box tools like SAS or SPSS to do this data science. So, Phil, it seems like based on your and Doug's response, it looks like data scientist is the only new individual role which has been introduced, which did not exist before, perhaps, or it is an amalgamation of different job roles and duties. But rest of them could very well be people who you had within the organization who perhaps have been doing things in a different context and they have to be groomed to be looking at things a little differently. Do you think that approach would cut it? You know, absolutely. Uh, that's exactly what I did. Um, you know, the, the team I built at Sears over the last four years were, were all almost entirely existing uh, people with uh, with existing uh, experience in legacy systems. Uh, what, what I look for in is people that have the aptitude, interest, and uh, the passion to learn a new technology and to, to broaden their own skills and the energy to, be, to become involved in something new. Once you have that, um, learning these new things is absolutely possible. Um, even the data science bit is, uh, is, is possible. You take very, you know, very, very good people that are good analysts, maybe good business analysts, or people with uh, advanced degrees in, in mathematics or stats uh, who, who want to learn the techniques of, of uh, looking for patterns and heat mapping and, link, and linkages and clustering and techniques that maybe they've not seen before. Uh, for instance, you know, Northwestern University and a colleague of mine is running a very interesting uh, course this, sh- this semester on exactly those techniques, uh, how to teach people um, to, to, to find value in data and cluster, cluster, clustering tools and heat mapping tools that maybe traditionally people wouldn't have uh, used so much. So all of the skills can be trained, there's no question. Um, in fact, they have to be because there's, there's no other way of getting the people. Uh, and, uh, and the training now is relatively available for most of the, uh, the seven categories of skill that I, I talked about. So, Doug, you were just about to, I think, make a comment after my uh, question for Phil. Uh, but more importantly, the way Phil responded, then it should not be that big of a problem. Why is there so much uproar if this is trainable and there are training available? So is it more of a time crunch that people wanted yesterday, and that's why why, why there is a crunch? Well, I, I'm I'm thinking that Phil, and I don't have stats to prove it, but I'm thinking that Phil's uh, experience of training existing people 
is more of the minority. Uh, a lot of enterprise firms, I think, have set off a separate group, and and sometimes I think that can be a, a problem. Um, you know, there 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 haven't been um, opportunities to bring people over from their old team. They've created this new team that's cloistered off, and I think that's sometimes a problem because they're divorced from. The, the problems that the company has been dealing with, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll implement a new Hadoop cluster and start gathering data and gad about for a problem to solve. But they're not looking at the, the existing problems, which is really what companies should focus on. And I think the biggest mistake uh, that companies can make is, is starting with technology instead of starting with a business problem and a business yeah. focus. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Doug. And, uh, and that's, that is, is exactly what I did. We were focusing on existing business problems, uh, whether that be performance, uh, business needs that couldn't be answered before, cost, uh, multiple pro- problems that, that IT had a hard time solving historically. And now, of course, with these tools, you can solve some of them. Um, so bringing the legacy knowledge over is really important. For instance, you know, things like security and governance and data integration and, and understanding the sources of data and the business processes that generate transactional data. That legacy knowledge is paramount when you're getting into these uh, big data initiatives. And uh, to lose that, it would be a, a big mistake. Uh, I agree with you, Doug. So, Phil, if you were to go back and say, if you, like hindsight is twenty twenty, and you did certain thing a certain way, and I'm sure you've seen your counterparts in other companies trying to build these teams, what would those uh, glaring mistakes be which did not, they, they were not so apparent earlier, but now you say, I wish I, I would have done things differently so that I would have more stable flow of the type of uh, resource pool I need in terms of both quantity and quality? Uh, actually, it's, uh, one thing is you're going to have to have is a degree of patience, right? Because the change management we're dealing with here is pretty significant. So um, to change an organization, especially a large one, in terms of the thinking about data management and data discovery and data integration and tools, that's a, that's a very large change. So first of all, if anybody has an expectation of taking a legacy organization and turning it around in six months and they'll be in you know, wonderfully harmonious, productive um, uh, environment in six months, they're not going to get there. So, so you have to have a realistic expectation about how long it's going to take. So start with simple use cases that, as Doug was mentioning, simple business challenges that you have today that, are, that, that you can – grow an organization with the use cases rather than have some you know, really ambitious goal and try and do it very quickly. So time and learning hands-on on incremental use cases that add value to the business and then uh, and, and tr- an appropriate training, of course, and an appropriate coaching now. There are people available from the outside of a company to bring in, to coach people, to train them, and to help them on first use cases but i'm a i'm a huge believer on learning by doing on on uh, on um, something that has business relevance that's the way to do it but don't expect that to be done in 6 months it's going to be a journey so doug do you think that there was a struggle in be able to identify what the organizational needs were or what the business problems were or just the focus was not on it because you did mention that more people started going towards technology versus looking at the business problem uh, well, you know, I think to, to follow up on, on Phil's point uh, that time is so essential, 
Um, I think the danger is that uh, the reason that many companies have created new teams is that their existing talent pool is going to fall, fall back on what they know. Um, and without training, without really getting their hands on in these new technologies, they're not going to be comfortable moving forward and they're going to be skeptical of the new technology. So a lot of companies have, have established teams off to the side that address the big data opportunity. Um, you know, I'm not terribly worried about um, the ability of data professionals to learn these technologies, things like running up Hadoop and running NoSQL. It, it's a matter of learning. It takes time. Um, the real hard part is understanding how these new data types can be applied to business problems. And as I say, I think the, the best place to start is with existing known business problems. So you're not you know, trying to dream up an application and dream up uh, something to solve, as well as coming to grips with these new technologies, new data types. Yeah, and you do see that, Doug, and you're absolutely right. People coming up with, you know, something completely outside their normal daily operational experience. Um, say, you know, I, a marketing person said, oh, I really want to mine social media data and make a whole new marketing campaign and make my career out of that. And that company may never have done anything like that before. That is, you know, almost asking for trouble. Uh, as opposed to taking something that Doug mentions is something that's right there in front of you as a business problem today. I mean, simple things like uh, I've just helped a company, a logistics company, just solve uh, a, a problem with a pricing algorithm that was running for about 11 hours a day on, uh, in a SQL environment, and they wanted to price that in under an hour, and we, we ran that on Amazon now repeatedly for in about 30 minutes. So. That was a that was a, an immediate pain point. It wasn't that complex to do. They have immediate benefit, and and through that, they, they are learning the techniques of uh, how to model data, how to ingest data, how to how to write code, how to troubleshoot, how to um, manage these environments. So that's exactly what Doug, I think you think you're talking about some practical yeah. use cases. Like I, that. I was talking to Arnab Gupta, who's CEO at Opera Solutions, a consulting firm that deals with a lot of companies, helps them with their big data projects. And he observed that many times uh, the big data, quote unquote, big data that people are taking advantage of is information they always had that's sitting there follow, yeah. not yeah. necessarily the social feed from Twitter or Facebook. But this, the unstructured text in the CRM comment fields, yep. they've had these conversations with their customers for years. They have all that information, but they haven't been able to mine that text. So, uh, and, and, and because it's in the CRM comment fields, it's right there next to the customer, the known customer in a known customer segment. And they can begin to tap into unstructured information that they haven't been able to use. Yeah. So let's take a quick break. Listeners will be right back. And when we come back, Doug, if you were to look at the problem of people not being able to do it, is it because we are expecting these people to change who have been working and have a comfort level with their existing technology? Yes, they may be charged to learn something new, but this could be quite a radical shift. So do we have to cherry pick the individuals who are willing to take the leap and voluntarily versus expecting them to change because the business wants them to? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore.
The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Joke All. Welcome back. So while we want, uh, this is a question for you, Doc, that while we want business to, of course, benefit from it, and business says, I'm going to try to find business problem, and then I'm going to apply. So coming to the people Anyone who's been working in their current roles and they are comfortable in there, yes, they would have a wish that they would want to suddenly become a big data resource, but it requires quite a bit of unlearning and relearning. So do you think it should come as voluntary, uh, you know, enrollment, if you will, of those people or versus business is going to say either you join the big data gang or else? Oh, boy. You know, I think... uh... You know, people, uh, and I, I wouldn't generalize young people, but I would say lots of people of various ages are eager and hungry for new talent, new experiences. And I think the handwriting is on the wall that their employability <laughs> depends on being flexible and learning new things. Um, so, uh, as I say, I think a lot of companies have kind of cloistered off and set up a new big data team. Um, there are, uh, you know, cultural differences could be, could be age, could be, you know, this is, I'm, this is my comfort zone. This is what I know could be money. You know, uh, there's competition for budget and, uh, if, if budget for a BI and analytics team, uh, suddenly is, is, uh, being tasked to also take on the big data problem, uh, numerities, uh, group, uh, talked about this, that uh, one of the big impediments to success with big data is not funding it properly. And a lot of times if you can set up sort of a competition that's unhealthy, if uh, it's it's meant to come out of the same budget, you know, if you don't, if you have your budget for your BI and data warehousing, and well, you've got a lot of legacy investments there that have to be tended to, you've got a lot of people in DBAs that are maybe threatened by new platforms and and maybe that ends up starving this new big data uh, uh, project. So, Phil, let's paint a scenario. A business says, I'm going to invest heavily in big data because that's going to get me that insight that I never had before, and I will get a revenue, a significant increase in the revenue potential. And for that, I will do some major innovation and look at areas which have never been seen. On the other side, when we're talking about building the team, whether it's new people coming in or the people who you're trying to retrain, you're suggesting that we should take at smaller, very obvious things which are available 
to get them trained on. But if you take this particular approach back to the business, say, I'm not going to fund somebody to learn, unlearn something only to get that incremental output. So that's a catch-22. Uh, not necessarily, but you're right. That is uh, that is a lot dilemma that is being that many organisations are facing. Uh, I I would I would challenge you in that and say that in most cases you can find something that has value to the business and is of a more incremental nature for your team to cut their teeth on. And in every case so far, in every company I've worked with, uh, helping them get their big data initiative going, we found one of those. Many of them are doing what Doug suggested. It's, it's using data they already have, necessarily using it, but they have the data, um, or solving a performance problem or solving a, a business need that is hard to do um, because of the structure of legacy data or the system restraints, constraints. Um, in every case, after a, you know, a few hours of brainstorming and whiteboarding, I've managed to get to a point where something is of a more incremental nature using existing data that isn't terribly ambitious. And believe me, once you've done that first project like that, the team becomes motivated, excited. They realize that this stuff really works. They start to understand how it works. And they, they then open their arms to, to, a broader, to encompass broader and more complex projects. But you do that based on a strong foundation and some skills rather than overwhelming a new team with, you know, an audacious goal, that is just a disaster, you know, waiting to happen in my mind. So I, I, I know you can find these use cases in pretty much any company that are more incremental. So, Doug, don't – yeah, go ahead, Doug. You have a thought? No, I was so, just going to say uh, – go ahead. Yeah, so basically what I was trying to come to you is based on what Phil just said, if – that is not supposed to be a, a big bang project and it has to be done incrementally. You necessarily don't need to go to executive management and say, I need money for this incremental. You could very well shave off a few dollars from your OPEX and try to do this sandbox type of an experiment, show those quick wins, maybe motivate your team and then say we are ready for those big bang projects. Do you think that approach no, is what no, you I, I think you do have to, to dedicate uh, – some money to this, you do have to uh, to to get some executive attention to it. I just think you can't have you know go into it with pie in the sky, grandiose uh, ambitions. You have to find that sweet spot, and this is the case with any technology project or new application or new technology, where you're biting off something that is meaningful enough, but isn't too much to chew, isn't too much uh, to, to ask. So you can then show, prove your success um, and, and then try to make that repeatable and move on to the next project. So, so look at developing a prioritized list of opportunities where you suspect new data types might help you solve, ex, you know, better address existing problems, important business problems, but maybe not your biggest business problem as your first project. And, and start there and then try to go down that list. 
Phil, do you think it's better to basically start with just outsourcing so that you start showing results to the management and they are all motivated to even fund more and then behind the scenes incrementally start building your team versus trying to say we're going to take X number of months to get our team up to speed and then we will start taking any even incremental opportunities? Yeah, when I started four years ago, we had to do, we had to do it um, you know, the latter way. We had to build our own team. There's almost no external help. That's not at all true today, and I agree, Sandra. That, that is the best way to start now. I mean, cloud, for instance, is a huge benefit. Spinning up these uh, sandbox and proof-of-concept clusters on Amazon is if you if you can do it, I know healthcare, financial services, they have trouble doing it, but other industries where we can do that, it's, it, you can have a very rapid proof of concept that doesn't cost a lot, and but it does. As Doug said, you need some budget, um, you need some dedicated people, you need some institution knowledge, but then there is these external resources now, significant ones now available to help you on your first project. And I advocate that an internal team that needs to be dedicated, they have to be dedicated. They should have legacy and institutional knowledge and domain knowledge on the data without any doubt. And they should be the ones that, over time, pick up the internal responsibility and learn to to build, run, and operate these environments and, and applications. They shadow an external, a few external experts that can really deliver quickly that first proof of concept, preferably in a cloud environment. And we're talking there of, you know, six, eight, ten weeks to get one of their, their first use case running to a point where they can prove to management that this stuff really works and it could show business benefit. So the combination of, you know, external resources, cloud, plus dedicated internal team with domain knowledge is the secret. If you can do that, uh, it's almost guaranteed successful in my experience. Doug, do you think, based on Phil's response, we can be confident that the quality and quantity of talent that's available with the companies who you would want to outsource to, we can truly rely. What's that magic that they pulled over the last few years where the enterprise is still lagging, where they actually are up to speed and now we can blindfolded rely on the talent that they are providing? Well, I agree with Phil that, that cloud is a, a is a good option and outsourcing is a good option. I can discuss a, a few uh, possibilities. On cloud, I recently talked to a mid-sized firm called Patronics that uh, developed there. It's a marketing firm that helps restaurant chains like Panera with their marketing. And they needed to get beyond uh, a traditional data warehouse because they dealt with so many different chains. And each chain had its own database of information about, you know, their menus and what was selling in their, in their, in their restaurants and, and understanding their performance. And they couldn't get, they had to aggregate information in a traditional database. So they couldn't see the details. Um, they did that in in the cloud. They put a Cloudera cluster on Amazon, and they've proven their success, and now they're taking it on-premises now that they know this is something that's helping them see customer behavior patterns, spot you know diners with children based on their menu choices that they couldn't see before. Um, so I think a lot of firms do, uh, when they're just starting out, do turn to outsource help. Uh, Phil's former sh firm, Metascale, is helping big companies. Uh, there's a company, MuSigma. Uh, it's a, a big analytics outsourcing firm. It has lots of people in India, but they have local liaisons who are really good communicators that help facilitate this, this sort of outsourcing without the communication problems. 
There's Think Big Analytics based in Chicago but has uh, offices uh, globally, and it's growing quickly, helping a lot of firms with big data analytics. Uh, Dysis is a staffing firm that uh, has added, added a sort of a big data staffing team. And uh, we're also seeing Kaggle, the uh, crowdsourcing firm that uh, a lot of companies, Allstate, brought uh, one of their projects to them. And they're actually um, not only doing crowdsourcing competitions, but they're taking the best people, the best performers in the Kaggle uh, big data competitions and sort of uh, hiring them out as, on a consulting basis. So there's lots of places for companies to turn for sort of outsourcing help to get them started. But I think uh, to Phil's point, you want it to be, uh, you know, teaching us to fish, teaching us to to do this so that it's not a dependency. It's not something where when they go away, <laughs> we stop innovating, we stop uh doing novel things and learning and progressing with our big data programs. So you gave quite a few examples, Doug. From a qualitative standpoint, what is it that they have done which suddenly, not suddenly, maybe over the last few years, have allowed them to build a capability to a point that they can confidently let those people go? Because they are still human beings who worked and learned big data related things and unlearn the things which were not relevant in the big data space. What was different that these firms did because of which they were able to build capabilities where rest of the very large enterprises, maybe who have much more revenue, have not been able to pull it off? Well, these are consulting firms, um, and uh, I can't attest to whether, uh, you know, exactly whether they left behind their knowledge. Um, I know that, uh, they were early to the game. Mu Sigma, Think Big Analytics, Dices, Kaggle. I mean, they've they've been involved uh, with these projects for a number of years. Um, Mu Sigma is very good at internal education. They actually have an internal university <clears throat> within their organization to train their people. And as I mentioned, they the the best communicators are the people that they turn into the client facing uh, uh, liaisons, so they can identify the needs and communicate this to, uh, to uh, their developers and people that do more of the nitty-gritty work uh, uh, off in India. Uh, Think Big Analytics has uh, just uh, been a, in, involved with a lot of high-profile, very interesting uh, projects uh, working with uh, uh, sort of uh, Internet of Things type applications with large-scale uh, storage vendors, for example, whereby they can understand exactly what's going on with their equipment out in the field and do preventative maintenance because they can spot patterns of failure before their storage devices actually fail. So there's some interesting things going on. They're also working in the travel industry, uh, spotting uh, you know, discount trending, things like, uh, you know, the, the sorts of uh, online uh, offers and deals you can get on travel, uh, which uh, very dynamic, very fluid uh, demand patterns are seen in that, in that particular business. So lots of interesting work going on. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And Phil, when we come back, how about evaluating the very fluidity in which big data is evolving. So would you say no matter where big data goes tomorrow, the skill sets and the roles that we've identified today are going to be here to stay and the scope and the type of skills that the person will not need to acquire will also remain the same. If that's not the case, to what degree do we plan for today or should we start thinking of tomorrow today? Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sun Jog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Jog All. Welcome back. Big data is not going to be exactly remaining, going to remain the same for tomorrow. So should your staffing roles and what they're supposed to do qualitatively and quantitatively, should that be seen uh, or evaluated just for today or we should start thinking what's going to happen in future? Phil. Yeah, so let me quickly go through those skills again and explain what, what I'm thinking there. Is um, Some of the skills here that, that we're looking at uh, are going to be quite certainly persisted for the, the long haul, right? So if you're talking of operations, monitoring, alerting, management, of, that's, that's bread and butter for people in IT already. You know, we all have IT organizations that do this. Some of the subtle skills are going to change, but absolutely the, skill, the core skills of running Linux, running clusters, alerting, monitoring, Fixing broken servers, you know, that's all basic stuff. So that is not, not going to change. Maybe subtle things, but not big things. Now, data integration, data sourcing, metadata management, data governance, that is a whole new area that has just emerged in my mind because of, uh, particularly because of the way Hadoop is, is grown and being used. That, that skill set is embryonic in most companies and is it's actually far from changing. It's, it's, it needs a lot of development. So I think the need in that space is huge. There's a big gap in most companies. And the next one was data modeling. So if I bundle those together, data integration, data modeling, sourcing, metadata management, governance, those are very big gaps in most companies today. It's not going to change for the foreseeable future, but what needs to change is we need more people that, that know how to do these things. There is... There's a relatively few people that know these things well. Application development is going to be always changing, right? So new languages come along. Um, of course, Java is uh, the base of many of these things, um, but the concepts like MapReduce, the pig language, for instance, we're teaching uh, um, many, many long-term COBOL developers, COBOL from mainframe, to develop in pig. Uh, and and they, they like pig as a language. It's uh, an easy language to move to from COBOL. So... Developers have to keep up with the changes in languages, um, new concepts like developing uh, real-time alerting and processing in tools like Storm, for instance, need different application development skills. So that's an ever-changing environment. 
user tools, user interfaces, reporting is a, a rapidly growing. We haven't talked about all of those tools, but that's a rapidly growing area. New companies, new startups, um, old companies changing their products uh, to, to take advantage of these new technologies. Big area of change, big lack of skills in companies in that area. And uh, yeah, that is absolutely changing and will continue to change. Security, the concepts of security are just the same, but the techniques and the scale maybe of the problem is bigger. Putting these big data sets together in one place now rather than lots of data silos introduces new security challenges. Um, so there are, there are a lot of new skills in the security area. Not that it's different than normal security. It's, it's just, it's just a, a twist on the same techniques. And then the, other, the last one we talked about was data discovery, data science, and um, scientists and business analysts. There's a lot of, lot of skills to learn here, are continually evolving, continually learning new tools, and the lack of people. So um, I see that area changing both in uh, it's growing. I think I saw a number in the press about 190,000 new data scientists in the U.S. alone are going to be needed in the next two years. So there's a big need for people with the right skills, and of course they're going to change over time. So I hope that helps a little bit. Doug, if you were to look at the roles that we already spoke about, which all of them have to be reporting to IT? There was a discussion, uh, offline discussion that I've had with a number of people who say the line of business leaders should actually be owning some of the roles in order for this whole team to become effective. Well, I think uh, line of business involvement is is crucial. Um, you know, I, uh, that's really often a missing ingredient, and uh, why I mentioned up front that the the big danger is looking at this as a technology problem. It's got to be a business problem first, and I think the hardest skills to uh, capture here are going to be either the the data savvy business leaders or the business savvy data professionals. Who, who can lead these projects. Those are going to be the hardest. Those are the ones that maybe, you know, aren't necessarily uh, people evolving, uh, might be those new data scientists that, that you try to hire. Uh, Phil cited that McKinsey uh, figure, I think 180,000 by 2017. I, I'm going to be a bit of a contrarian and say, I, you know, I, I don't know how uh, we fill that. I don't think you can grow... Uh, that many grads that quickly, um, I think we are, are going to have to get to a point where we get away from this, you know, entirely new teams and um, with training uh, uh, help to evolve our existing teams. You know, our techniques are going to evolve. The standard ways in which we analyze and use data are going to evolve so that the standards of, of tomorrow are going to be the pioneering techniques that are coming out today. And I think um, to, to Phil's point, we're going to have to help our people evolve. It will take a, a little bit of time. But, you know, we're going to have to re rely on the technology as well. I think technology is going to help solve this, um, this gap of talent. And I really think uh, IT leaders have to look at ways to make these big data solutions repeatable and to look for uh, ways to automate. Um, techniques like machine learning are ways to turn loose the computers to do some of this analysis rather than constantly relying 
on a, a, a from scratch development of a new big data application every time we turn to a new area of the company. If we find repeatability, if we rely on the, the machines to do the analysis, I think we can um, not face such a daunting gap of talent. So if you were to look at the line of business, would they have a set of roles which should actually be reporting to them, or are you saying they are going to be more of an influencer? Well, I uh, recently did a story about Facebook. The head of analytics at Facebook uh, recommends a hybrid approach where he has the analysts embedded in the business units at Facebook, but they report up to him. And in this way, uh, and they collaborate as as the analyst types within the various business units of Facebook. And in this way, they avoid repeating solving the same problem uh, and, and having teams working on the same problem over and over again. But at the same time, these analysts are part of the business unit. So they work independently in that sense, and they focus on the business problem instead of having this centralized model completely centralized model rather than a hybrid model where all these business units have to go to this central analytics and data analysis, you know, centralized team and wait in line, which is definitely not a good approach. That's been why IT, why the business has often frustrated with IT. I mean, waiting in line for them to tweak a report or come up with a new analysis. That's not the way to do it. Yeah, so, so, Phil, so look – yeah, go ahead. Self-service is a is a big thing. Business allowing business to have self-service to data and analytics capability is a, is a is a powerful change, and something we have to keep on pushing for. So, Phil, if you look at the team which we are referring to, some of them could very well belong to business unit leaders. Other could belong to IT, and then the CDO is also being introduced. So, a chief data officer could have a third chunk or the group of people, how would a team work when you've got different bosses with different agendas and they're not measured even the same way? Yeah, that's certainly going to be a, a challenge, of course. Um, but that's why uh, the, that comment I mentioned, right? Once you get IT out of the way, which uh, can be done to some degree now with these tools, and we're not setting up uh, requests for an ETL to be created or a new copy of data to be uh, um, ETL'd, or some restricted fields from a data feed to be removed because this group can't see them. You know, IT has been in the way of business for many, many, many years because we've been using con this conventional ETL approach for moving and copying data and implying schemas and security on it that way. Uh, the, the new, these new ways of sourcing data once into a data pool or a data hub and then implying security on it uh, with appropriate user interface tools um, allow you uh, significantly more agility and, and getting IT mostly out of the way and allowing people to have self-service. Once you have that, the business can be more accountable for the business analytics, generating value from the data, uh, data discovery, and they don't necessarily need to have to align as much with IT. So you can have slightly different agendas there and, and hold it together. Having said that, you still need some governance on these uh, initiatives, otherwise it's going to fall apart. Um, so I think you have to have collaboration, but you also want to get IT out of the way as much as possible, which you can do to some degree now.
So, Doug, this is interesting. What Phil said is getting IT out of the way. How realistic is it in the way you see organizations doing it? Is IT truly been able to walk away after putting a platform and say, go, guys, do your thing? Uh, that's been a long struggle. Uh, we just did a report in Information Week on, on BI and analytics, and um, really getting to self-service has been on the, um, on the list for a long time. The latest trends are, are, are basically, um, you, you've seen companies like Tableau and ClickTech um, really growing strongly because their solutions are things that business users can, can manipulate and work with uh, more readily without having to turn to the IT department to create that new report, to create that new dashboard. So a lot of the incumbent BI and analytics players have responded and have come out with modules that provide more in the way of visual data analysis, that provide more in the way of, of um, you know, data catalogs that aren't so wonky and hard to work with. They can find their data, they can manipulate their data, they can come up with analyses without constantly turning to IT. So this is the trend in BI and analytics, but it's been a long time coming, and it's still um, kind of a, a work in progress. Um, that's That pattern is going to repeat itself in the whole big data realm. I mean, there's been a big push this year for SQL on Hadoop. Um, now, uh, that's a that's a good thing. Having people to query data in Hadoop is a good thing, but I think um, we're also going to have to have the MapReduce type analyses, the kind of connecting the dots across data sets in Hadoop. That's not really in the SQL mold of of exploring data. We have to find those easy to use business tools that'll help people explore data in the way that Hadoop uniquely can do, as differentiated from what relational databases and SQL uh, do. So I think we're going to see an evolution of the technology to help fill this gap and to help bring the the data analysis, bring the access to the data to the business users. And if I could just say something, Sandra, on that, and what's holding it back a lot of the time is, is corporate governance because there's security headaches to, to self-service, uh, especially when you have a data hub with a lot of data in it. Some of that data is not appropriate for some users, um, and so you can't just give them. And that's one of the issues with SQL access on Hadoop, for instance, has been at least, is uh, it's hard to have fine-grained control over what people can see and what they can't see. And that's, so that puts, puts up the shutters immediately and prevents people from self-service. Um, and so one way around that that, that I've done, and it, it works to a large degree at least, is uh, use a tool that's built for Hadoop like Datamere. And on Datamere, you can specify column-level security for different users in different LDAP groups, so then they can only see what they are only supposed to see. That is quite a bit of you know admin overhead and has to be managed, but it does it does then allow them complete access to what they're allowed to see in a self-service mode. And there are other tools coming along that do similar things, but um, that is what's stopping it most of the time is it's the security aspect. Uh, I think that's part of the reason you're seeing uh, the CDO emerge, and there are really two CDOs emerging the chief chief data officer which you see more at companies like banks and insurance companies and they they focus more on on data governance and will have that 
a problem to tackle, and we'll have their eye on that issue that Phil just talked about. And then the chief digital officer, which you tend to see more at sort of internet giants and media firms, where they're the person in charge of, hey, finding ways to make use of all this data and finding ways to monetize data that was formerly just part of our transactional world or part of our customer database. Um, so those are two different types of CDO roles emerging. I think the jury is still out on whether the CIO will um, maybe step up and inherit some of those uh, responsibilities. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And, Phil, when we come back, look at the incentive that could be offered. Yes, it is a great thing for an employee or someone who's working within the company to say, I'm going to learn new skills. But we are also trying to attract and retain such talent by paying a whole lot more. Does that also, in a way, rattle the overall fabric of an organization where you're suddenly paying obscenely large amount of compensation? And, and it could have also other ripple effects in the way the overall team works. So how are we able to balance our urgent need with uh, maintaining the overall morale of the organization and not just a few people who we want today? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. The, the crazy, obscene compensation offered to many of these big data-related talent, how well is it helping the organization overall? Phil? Yeah, well, first of all, um, I, I don't totally subscribe to salary as the uh, only motivation. In fact, I know it, it is important to people. And as they learn these skills, they are becoming very marketable. And I think salary is tempting a few people to move around. Uh, but I will say that in my experience, um, if you have good people that are dedicated to the company in the first place, and they learn these new skills, and you put them in a nurturing environment where they have exciting work to do that has meaningful business impact, which is what we talked about at the beginning. If they're doing projects like that, then salary is not the primary of a, of a primary goal that they have. It's they want to have something that's meaningful, rewarding, and and learn new skills and add value to the business. Salary is important, but it's not the first factor. Some people, but very few, I've seen have moved around just for salary. But I know that Doug has some some data on that. So, uh, Doug, would you want to share what's going on in the sure. salary space? 
Yeah, uh, Information Week does a salary survey every year, and in 2013, we had the median BI and analytics staff salary at 90,000, managers at about 120, uh, integration and data warehousing staff at about 104,000, and managers at 118,000. Again, these are median figures, half above, half below. And then um, we didn't specifically have the big data title in there, big data scientist or anything, but uh, anecdotally, I've seen uh, numbers flying around there for median at about 118 for staff. You know, that's the that's the top end for the old integration and data warehousing types and 150, again, median at, at uh, sort of the, the PhD data analyst types. Now, these are median figures, and therefore across the country, you know, you get to places like Silicon Valley and New York and experienced high-end talent. Yeah, there are a lot of these, um, you know, uh, stories about signing bonuses that you could buy, go out and buy a yacht, et cetera. Um, but I think the median salaries are, are uh, you know, not totally outrageous. Uh, I agree with Phil's point. Uh, I, I was talking to a CIO at um, Ace Insurance. Uh, they created a big data team separate from their traditional uh, team, partly because they were concerned that, you know, they couldn't attract talent interested in doing creative things if it, if it felt like, a, you know, kind of old school insurance company. So they created this team to do really innovative things, to explore new data types, and I think that helped them attract talent from competitors, uh, from from uh, internet giants, etc. Um, uh, but I think, you know, it, it does raise an interesting point that uh, IT leaders are going to have to be aware of, a cultural divide, whether that's, uh, you know, technology experience, uh, could be a twinge of, of age in there. Um, and maybe some salary jealousy if you've got this separate big data team and they're earning the big bucks and you've got this you know, tr more traditional team that's been there for years and uh, uh, more in line with uh, traditional salaries. That, that could create a problem. And I think we long term, we want these teams to come together. So we have to solve that problem. So, Phil, one last question for you. If we are looking at these people being a little different, maybe not as individuals, but the kind of skills they bring and expectations, what type of leadership do we need to demonstrate so that we get the maximum out of that those set of resources? Yeah, actually, the leadership is the hardest part, right, because I, I actually believe all the technical skills can be learned, um, and, and people that want to learn and have the energy to learn can be trained. Finding really good leaders that can lead these initiatives is a real problem. Um, because uh, unless you have the right visionary, motivating uh, leader that, that has the, the good connection to the business, as Doug says, um, it's very hard to make progress. You know, I've been fortunate to work with some really talented leaders in this space that can drive change, nurture new teams and development. Um, this is a real headache for IT management, I, I think, is to find the right leaders. Now, I will say that out of the 10 or so companies I've worked with in the last few months that have been starting big data organizations, they've always found, everyone has found somebody with the right aptitude in a leadership role. So they do exist. They didn't have the skills, but they have the right aptitude and interest uh, and, uh, and the willingness to drive, and they're good leaders. So uh, it has to be addressed. I don't think it's insurmountable, but, it, but, it, but you do have to pick the right person. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you both, Phil and Doug, for sharing your thoughts on how organizations can work on building an effective big data team. Thank you. Thank you.
Pleasure. Thank you so much again. And now, please, uh, listeners, like us on Facebook, uh, search for CIO Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog, all your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid.